The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you're new here at LifePoint, let me welcome you. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and we've been uh, going through the book of James. And so if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, And today we're going to be in James chapter uh, three And so uh, the book of James was written by uh, Jesus's little brother. It's actually his half-brother uh, because Jesus's father is God and James's father is Joseph, uh, if that makes sense. So uh, they share a mother. James and Jesus grew up together. Uh, James and Jesus rode bikes together. James and Jesus had a bunk bed together. James and Jesus got in arguments together and Jesus always won. Uh, and so James is a little bit uh, skeptical about his brother Jesus because he kept seeing he's God, right? He knows he's the Messiah, and so uh, anytime your brother says that he's the Messiah, you're a little bit of skeptical, right? And so James kind of had a little uh, rough upbringing, a little rough childhood, uh, but something really in him changed, and namely, that's when your brother dies and then is resurrected from the dead. Right? It's not that he was just revived. He resurrected, which means he never died again. He ascended into heaven, and something in your heart changes. And so what we read in James is that James is actually worshiping Jesus uh, as Lord, as King, as Savior, as uh, Messiah. And so he is imploring to us, he is encouraging us to do uh, the same thing. And so our theme throughout this book is faith works. James came to faith in Jesus Christ, and it completely changed his life. And today, in chapter 3, James is going to talk to us about something very practical. Faith working in our life is practical faith. How do we live out our faith in normal, everyday, uh, highs and lows living? And today, James is going to talk to us about taming the tongue, your favorite message ever, right? In other words, he's talking to us about we need to control the way that we speak. And we live in a world where there are hundreds and thousands and billions of words spoken every single day. How many of you know that words are powerful? And he says, listen, because words are so powerful, we need to understand that as followers of Jesus, people who want to uh, see our faith work, we need to make sure that we're understanding the way that we control our tongue. Now, I know that out here before me this morning is all of those people who are emotionally healthy, filled with the Spirit, never get frustrated, never get agitated, never get angry, and everything you say is really saturated with angel dust and spirit sprinkles. But I want you to simply imagine maybe some people who have a hard time holding their tongue. Just picture them. Just think about them, all right? See if you can think about a guy like that. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought of a guy. I'm like, I know a guy who has a problem with that. And uh, I realize that there's times that this guy actually gets frustrated. This guy gets agitated. This guy gets angry sometimes. And so sometimes I need to learn to control my tongue. And so uh, for the last eight years, I've been coaching basketball, last four years of varsity basketball. And as a coach on the sideline, how many of you know, sometimes the games get a little heated? Right? They get a little tight. You get a little agitated. You get a little frustrated, even though the refs make a perfect call every time. Amen? And so there's times where I say things I probably shouldn't say, and then the Holy Spirit blows the whistle and says, ah, you shouldn't have said that. Mm, you're right. I'll be over here. Right? 
And so when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're pressed in life, what happens naturally is what is inside of you naturally will start to come out of you. And so James is going to talk to us today about how faith works in those moments when life just kind of squeezes you. And, and what he's really talking about is stewardship. Everyone say stewardship. Stewardship, that Jesus' teaching, 25% of his teaching, actually has to do with stewardship. And what that means is God entrusts us with things. God gives all things to mankind, life, breath, and everything. And God uh, allows us to be stewards of those things. For example, God gives us money for him, for his glory, for others. And so we are stewards of that money. God gives you time. God says, okay, what are you going to do with your time? God gives you resources. What are you going to do with those resources? God gives you friends or relationships. And the question is, how does God wants you to lead those relationships. What do you want to do with them, God? And so today, James says that God gives us a voice. God gives us words. And so we need to start to examine how is it that God wants us to use our words? How is it that God wants us to, to use the voice that he's given us? Is it for good or for evil? Because God knows that words are very powerful. He gives us his word. Amen? And how many of you know his word is powerful? And so as we walk by faith, we need to make sure that we're understanding the words that we say. So if you think about all of the words that you speak, type, email, message, whatever it is, think about all those words that are sent out. How many of you would say, I need the spirit to help me? Right? I need, a, I need the spirit to help me communicate the heart of God. Am I what I'm saying, what I'm communicating, is it the heart of God? And so today, he's going to pick up a theme that he started in chapter one when he says, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. And he's going to take this whole section of chapter three, and he's going to talk to us about, hey, when, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're, when you're hangry or angry, right? That's a real thing. It should be in the Bible. Right, when you get hangry or angry, when you're annoyed, when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you're fearful, when you're anxious, the words we speak have the power to bring life or death. The words we speak will either help or they'll hinder. They'll either build up or they will beat down. And so he says, tells us over and over again, your tongue wants to be your master. Your tongue wants to control you, but you and I, we need a greater master to help us master our tongue. Look at what it says in chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So he starts with teachers, and he, and he talks to these teachers about judgment. And so as we get into the Bible, there's going to be times when you read the Scripture that it should convict us. Amen? Like the Holy Spirit brings the Word of God right to our hearts and says, that's you. This is my verse. Right? This is something that I don't take lightly. I know that God has called us to be teachers, particularly gospel teachers or other types of teachers. And he says, when you teach, you need to understand you're going to be judged more strictly because your teaching actually impacts people around you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? And so I believe this very, very much. I take this very, very seriously. 
And so I need to make sure that my heart and my life, my mind is actually under his authority if I'm going to ever speak with any authority. And so I know God has allowed me to be a steward of my voice, and so I want to make sure I'm under his authority. Listen, God has allowed you positions to speak out. God has put you in places where you can be a voice. And so make sure you understand that when you teach, when you're speaking, you are under the authority of God. And he says this. He says, we all, he says, we all are, we all stumble in many ways. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. So he says, we all stumble, meaning James included. He says, I'm raising my hand here. There are times where I say things I shouldn't say. We all stumble. And if anyone doesn't stumble, he's perfect. Let me just tell you something. There was only one perfect teacher. His name was Jesus. And we killed him. So everyone else are imperfect teachers. All right? Okay. We're imperfect, we stumble, we fall. That's why we need God to help us to learn and grow and follow the Spirit. And here's what I just wanna tell you. We're all teachers. Believe it. You're teaching something with your life or with your words. Any parents in the room, right? Uh, I was driving with my family, I don't know, a month or so ago, it just kind of stuck out to me. I was driving with my family. How many of you have driving issues? Oh, yeah, you do. I was driving with my family, and um, someone cut us off or something like that. And I hear from the back, what an idiot. And I'm thinking, that's my disciple. Right? Like they're echoing good old dad right there, right? I don't know if you guys have a problem. I verbal process when I drive, all right? And so, and so I'm hearing that, and I'm like, that sounds a lot like me. <laughs> I used to have a horn ministry. Anybody have that? <laughs> but my horn in my car doesn't work anymore. I don't know for whatever reason there's a short in it, all right? So God took that away from me. I'm reminded by the verse that he who is trusted with little will be faithful with much. And he who cannot be faithful with little, what he has will be taken away from him. And so the little horn that I had, yeah, God said, I don't trust you with that. When, when, when you have a child, you, you suddenly start to realize that they say what you say, right? I mean, you're like, where did you learn that? Your mother? But, I mean, they say what you say, they echo what you say, they do what you do. And so, listen, James is not talking to us about just sin general. He's really specifically talking about the communication sin. The, the, it, what, what comes out of your mouth, particularly, James wants to address that today. And so James is talking about tongue and careless words. And so I want to encourage you this morning, before we really get deep in it, are there things that you're saying that are not filled with grace? 
Are there words that are coming out in your daily life that are not saturated ultimately with truth? And, and so is what I'm saying a blessing or a beating? Is it a, is it a blessing or a curse? Is, is what I'm saying tearing people down or building people up? Do I speak what the Lord would have me to speak or am I communicating what the Lord wants me to say? And so Jesus says that from the heart, the mouth speaks. Blessing and cursing both come from our lips. And so, uh, listen, uh, I've been, I've been kind of thinking through Victus Men this week, and this week we're talking about the power of blessing and cursing. And so all of you guys in the room, listen, this may be the most important message, this may be the most important night for us to live our lives because what we say is so powerful. And we need to understand the difference between blessing and cursing. And so if you're a guy in the room, I'm gonna encourage you right now, get here Tuesday night, 6.30. If you're a woman in the room, listen, get your guy here Tuesday night, 6.30. Boys, brothers, sons, whatever it is, get them here, all right? So we're talking about uh, what comes out of our mouth is actually a flow from our heart. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Taming our tongue is an invitation by God to examine our hearts. So, so when James is talking about what comes out of your mouth, it actually is God giving you an invitation to say, you see, that's what's really in your heart. And so he's going to talk about the tongue He's going to get really personal with you, and it's going to be a little bit emotionally awaking for us. I hope it's awaking for us and gives us this sense of urgency because some of us go day by day, night by night, not thinking about the words that we say or the things that we type or the words that we send. We just simply discredit it or discount it, but he's saying, listen, be urgent about your mouth. Look at verse Three, this is how important it is. He says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we can guide their whole bodies as well. Have you ever seen a rodeo? Have you ever seen a rodeo? I know we live in the Midwest. There's something uh, that's a, uh, it's a redneck rodeo. It's called the Monster Truck Rally. Okay, so think of that with like real horses, all right? Uh, I lived in Texas uh, for a while, and um, uh, I, I went to Fort Worth, the, the, the stockyards in Fort Worth. Anyone ever been to Texas? So I go to the stockyards in Fort Worth, and they have rodeos there. And I was amazed at all the different events and all the different things uh, that I saw. So if you've never been to a rodeo, um, I've got a clip of what that actually looks like. Ray, you got that? Throw that up there, will you? Okay, now watch this guy. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, watch this. Hey! Isn't that crazy? 
Isn't that amazing? There actually was sound of that video. Sorry, you got to watch it in silent. But listen, like I'm watching, I'm watching that video, right? And I'm thinking the difference between like the first rider and the last two riders, like, like one is very like controlled and they're disciplined and, and the rider has like authority and dominion over that, that beast that, that is just going a hundred miles an hour. Uh, and, and so I thought about, you know what makes that possible? A little bit that's put in their mouth. Right, training and taming and controlling with this little bit. But the others, the other two dudes, those are wild animals. Right? Those those horses are like, get the heck off me. Right? And they are going crazy. It's a completely different ride. Amen. And so the, the analogy here that James uses is that's your tongue. The horse. That's your mouth. And so we have a default, we have a tendency to just let our mouth go crazy and it, we're just wagging this thing and it, and it can cause a lot of pain, it can cause a lot of destruction. And so what he says, he says we need to tame our tongue, we need to be able to stay in the saddle of our emotions and listen to me, I wanna bring it right here now. This includes bitterness and gossip and, and comments that are made online, okay? So listen, it's so easy to get emotionally sucked in, is it not? And, and so we can lose the bridle on our tongue and on our mouths, and we can so easily get bucked off our horse and let our emotions go crazy like a wild horse coming out of the stocks. Listen, sometimes what you need to do is just walk away. When those moments arise, listen, when you get up in the morning, all right, you're going to open the stockyards of your phone, and you're going to want to emotionally respond to any message or anything that somehow triggers you or sets you off, all right, or you're going to walk out the door into the workplace, and all of a sudden, you're going to be on either a bucking bronco or you're going to put a bid in. And so he says, listen, sometimes you're going to need to walk away. Have you ever had those conversations or that thing that comes up and you're like, no, I'm not talking about this. The moment that gossip comes and someone says something about someone else, you can either fan that flame or you can walk away, right? In Genesis 3, Satan shows up. And he wants to have a conversation with Adam and Eve. And that conversation basically broke the whole world. Thank you. And, and so, you know what Adam and Eve should have done? Walked away. I'm not listening to that. So the serpent shows up and says, hey, I want to talk to you guys. No. Me and my girl, we're going on date night. That would have been better, right? Like, we're, 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 getting, we're getting out of here, right? We're going to Applebee's. We're going to get the bourbon steak, the Oreo shake. Right, we're going to do that thing. I don't have time for this. And so he says, listen, listen. Bridle your tongue sometimes means remain silent. Walk away. You don't need to respond. Look in verse 4. Get serious. He says, look at the ships also. 
though they are so large and are driven by strong, powerful winds, they are also guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Listen, okay, so he says, he's talking about the sailboats, and so uh, they had these big sails, they had these huge winds, and it would push the sailboat. Let me ask you, what happens to a boat that doesn't have a rudder? It goes bad, right? I mean, it ends poorly, and so he's saying, listen, these are powerful ships, these are powerful boats, and so if you have a rudder, you need to Put that rudder wherever the pilot directs. Again, these are images depicting something powerful that's directed by something very, very small. A horse with a bit, a ship with a rudder. In both occasions, right, if it's not directed, if it's not controlled, how many of you know pain happens? Problems happen. This is the analogy he's going to use, and he's going to step us in to this analogy of wildfire. wildfire. Look in uh, verse 5. He says this, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts in great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. Listen to it. He says the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Now he's talking about the body, talking about your family. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. How many of you are from California? Anybody? Are from California? I got some friends in California. I visited them uh, a while back, and we went on a hike kind of in the mountain areas, and you could still see how the trees and the brush and the ground is still stained by the fire, right? Part of the trees are black. They're charred. They're just starting to grow back. California has a real problem with wildfires. I don't know if you knew that. So, so I remember talking to them about uh, one called the Dixie Wildfire. Anybody remember hearing that, seeing that on the news? Dixie Wildfire? It just happened last year. They said that the Dixie Wildfire is actually the 13th uh, largest wildfire uh, that California has ever experienced. All right? It's a, it's a wildfire. And, and so from that flame, look, listen to this. From that flame, it produced 80 fires across 11 states. The wind would blow, the fire would spread, 80 different fires, 11 states, 1,300 structures were destroyed. They spent $540 billion fighting this fire. It burned nearly a million acres. A million. That's bigger than New York, Chicago, Dallas, and L.A. combined. Burned down. And so here's what's crazy, is even now, Nobody knows how it started. I mean, they have some ideas, some, some, some skeptics, but, but they don't know how it started. It was so small that nobody saw it. And it spread so fast that they couldn't actually determine where it came from. And so the truth is, it just takes a small spark, amen? The next thing you know, a million acres are burnt down. This is exactly what's happening in our world. There's a spark 
There's a moment, there's a voice, there's a, there's a, a, a word that comes out of someone's mouth and it's like a spark and it is setting people on fire. James says that the tongue can set a fire among our members, among our church, among our body, among our family. And he says when that starts to happen, it stains the whole body. How many of you know one stain can ruin a shirt? One stain can ruin a dress. I don't care how big it is, right, or how small it is, it can ruin it. And he says, listen, when fire of your tongue starts to move, it will stain the whole body. It will actually change our life. And every single day, there's rage and there's anger and there's fear and there's emotions and there's responding and there's yelling and there's blaming and some of you grow up in that house. You grew up in that place where it's just simply fiery tongues. And so uh, there's, he says, a lot of the hell on earth starts with an untamed tongue. Do you see the importance a lot of the hell that we experience in our world comes from the things that people say. We lose control of our tongues. We respond uh, uh, angrily with our tongues. And then when we do that and we're called out on it, do you know what we do with our tongues? We make excuses. You know what? You shouldn't have said that. Yeah, but I was just emotional. You know, you shouldn't have said that. I know, I was tired. You shouldn't have said that, yeah, I was hungry. You shouldn't have said that, yeah, but that's just, that's just my personality. That's just who I am. That's just my ethnicity. You see, I'm Irish or, or I'm, I'm Italian. Look, look, I'm human. And so we make these excuses that say, hey, you should, yeah, I know, but I'm just gonna discount it. I'm gonna make some excuse. I'm not gonna own it. I'm not gonna repent of it. I'm just gonna let it sit. And so what happens is because of technology and social media, right, a fire can start anywhere, amen? And anyone and everyone can actually throw their log or throw their fuel on that fire. Hey, let me put my fuel on it. Let me fan that flame. Here's my log. Here's my two cents. Here's what I have to say about that. And so the, one of the reasons that James is articulating this so passionately to us about taming our tongues is because he experienced hell on earth firsthand with the words. Listen, James was the brother of Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was Lord. Jesus was savior, Jesus was king, Jesus was the Messiah. And so throughout the ministry of Jesus, he preaches, he teaches repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Come to repentance, come to faith. And he says, anyone who would come to me, anyone who would follow me, anyone who would trust in me, anyone who would turn from their sin and follow me, he's listen, he says, I will give them eternal life. And you will never die. In me is the resurrection. In me is life. I will change you. I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. You need to come. You need to repent. You need to put your faith in Jesus. Now, a part of his teaching was performing many miracles. He would heal. He would heal the sick. He would open blind eyes. He would make the cripple walk. He would cast out evil demons among people. Now, I don't know how even the religious people can be anti-healing but some people show up and say, that's not right. And they say, you know what? 
We can't deny that Jesus is actually healing people, okay? But we can set a, neg a negative narrative on what we say about it. And so do you know what people say about Jesus' healing and about his teaching? He says he does that by the power of Beelzebub. The only reason that Jesus can do those things is because he's demon-possessed. The only reason that Jesus can actually have that power and authority is because of the devil. And so not only that, but that verbal fire, it spreads to his family. Your brother is a demon. Your brother is not of God. Your brother Jesus is not real. And not only that, it insults his mother and his family and James and, and John the Baptist, who's the cousin. And so it goes on and on and on. Meaning, he says, he says, listen, there's one point that that verbal fire spreads to Jesus' family. And they say, well, at least we know who our father is. Huh. Meaning, we believe your mom was so unfaithful that you don't even know who your real dad is. And your adaptive dad is so stupid that he thinks that his wife is the mother of God. What an idiot. Who would ever say that? James goes through hell, constantly hearing the negative things that are taught about his brother and his family, how he's blasphemous, how he's possessed with a demon, Right? who claims to be the Messiah. Every day, James lived through this, and he says, this kind of talk comes from hell. He uses the word hell. The original translation is the word Gehenna. Everyone say Gehenna. That's a fun word to say. They're like, am I cussing right now? Can I say that? He uses the word Gehenna. Jesus uses the word Gehenna 11 times. And this is actually a visual reference to hell. And so outside the city of Jerusalem, I don't know if you know this, outside the city of Jerusalem, there was a place called Gehenna. Yeah, you could say Gehenna. You're like, oh, I'm not sure now. Gehenna was a place where pagan people would sacrifice children to demonic gods. We call it the clinic today, but Gehenna. Sorry, I need to tame that tongue. I shouldn't have said that. Gehenna. As a result, people saw this place as demonic, as dark, as defiled, as disgusting. And so eventually what would happen is it would become the city dump and they would throw all the garbage and everything uh, that's broken and everything that people don't want, they would throw it into the burning Gehenna. And so if you were an outcast, if you were a criminal and you died, they wouldn't give you a burial. They would just throw your body into the fire in Gehenna. And so during the day, you would just see the smoke rising constantly and continually. And during the night, you would see the flames burning bright. And so from the burning dump of death and decay and destruction. James wants us to have this visual picture to say, that's what happens when you don't use your tongue for God's glory. It literally brings hell. 
What he says is that our tongues can actually unleash Gehenna, that we can set people on fire with our words. We can literally bring forth death and destruction and decay. And so for some of you, you know this very well. How many of you would say, I've been burned by words? Oh, yeah. Someone, something said or did what came out of their mouth, it burned me bad. You've seen family burned. You've seen friends burned. You've seen them burned by other friends or other family, right? Some of you say, you know what? Some of your friends today, they say, you know what? I would never go to church because I've been, I've been burned. James says it stains the whole body. It actually changes the entire course of life. So for some of you, your story is that I've been burned. And listen to me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you had to endure a tongue from hell. Let me say this also. Jesus knows. He knows. He knows exactly what that's like. He knows exactly what that feels. And so some of you have been burned with words, and some of you are the arsonists. I, too, am guilty. Sometimes we're the victim. Sometimes we're the arsonist. Sometimes we're the one that starts the blaze. Sometimes we're the one that throws the fuel. Sometimes we're the one that creates the fan for the flame. But let me just encourage you with this. The truth is that no one wins in a wildfire. No one. Jesus dies by hanging on the cross and he dies for our sins and he dies for every misspoken word, every misspoken thought, every deed that is wicked and evil and is not of God and he dies on a cross paying the price for that sin. And do you know how he dies? He dies surrounded by people who are cursing him, who are yelling at him, who are name-calling him, who are mocking him, who are destroying his reputation. Come on, I thought you were God. Why don't you save yourself? Come on down, show us your power. They're literally giving him hell. But what does Jesus do? He gives him grace. He says, Father, forgive them. Listen, then he dies to answer his own prayer. He says, I'm going to forgive them by dying. Those words that you're shouting at me is why I'm bleeding right now. And I willingly am taking that. I am removing that 
so that you might turn and be saved, so that we could be forgiven. The point is, you and I, we're not perfect. We all stumble. The tongue is deceptive, and it's wicked, and you and I, we need the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. Because from my heart, the mouth speaks. Look at how he ends the section here. Verse seven. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. You're like, I thought that's what we're talking about. Listen, we cannot upon our own strength, our own will, our own vices, our own labor somehow tame what is untamable. What we need someone who can tame my heart, who can tame my mind, who would then tame my tongue and only the Holy Spirit can do that. No human being can tame the tongue. We are desperate for God to move because the tongue is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. With our tongue with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not be so do you hear the urgency listen we are powerless to do this We need a power outside of us that would somehow come into us, that would somehow help us tame our tongue. Listen, we should not speak this way. He says this should not be so. Look at what it says. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of poison. With it we bless. With it we curse. This should not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The answer No, it can't. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce uh, uh, figs? Listen, I know we're not gardeners, but the answer is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All of these are communicating the same thing. It's from here that comes out here. This, my tongue, exposes this. What's in you? What is in you? Listen, James says, he says, don't be deceived. We deceive ourselves. There's no one who lies to you more than you. And so we deceive ourselves and say, no, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty awesome, right? I do, I do a lot of good things, right? But he says, he says, Let's take another test. Let's look at your mouth because it will reveal your heart. Pressure, hardship, emotions, they don't change us. They expose us. They reveal us. What he says is that different trees produce different kinds of fruits and that you and I are like trees. And Jesus says a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so what he's saying, if the fruit that's coming out of you is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then there's not something wrong with you. There's something wrong within you. And so the problem that we face is is not that there's something wrong with me. Oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I tame this tongue? The problem is within you. 
The problem is that there's something wrong within me. I need God to change something within me. Listen, Christianity is not a behavior-driven, moral-driven, religious-driven uh, culture. It is, it is Jesus paid it all for me. He gives me the gift of his righteousness and fills me with the Holy Spirit. And then he changes me from the inside out. Not so I do these things so that I will be saved. It's that Jesus paid the price for me to save me. And now I want to do these things things that follow him. Amen? And so here we are saying, listen, I can't do this. It's an impossible task. I need the spirit because something's wrong within me. Now, he doesn't say you better tame your tongue because that's impossible. He says you can't, but Jesus can. He says in saying this, faith actually works. To tame your tongue, you need to put your heart and your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Good tree that is attached to the vine bears good fruit. Bad trees that are not attached to the vine will wither and will be thrown out. And so what he's saying is it is possible to sing songs, to quote verses, to pray prayers, and still have a tongue of fire. If what's coming out of you is not coming from him, then we need to be honest about really what's in you. And so listen, when we surrender to the Spirit, it will change what comes out of our mouth, eventually. Now, I just confessed to you several times that I lose my tongue. But I can tell you, over the years that I've been following Jesus, I don't talk the way I used to. Right? I don't think the way that I used to. Listen, I'm not perfect, I'm in progress, right? I will be perfect on the day that he calls me home, but until then, he's refining me like a fire. He's purifying my heart. He's, he's saying, Eric, examine your mouth, because when you examine your heart or your mouth, you can see what your heart is. Listen to what this says. It says, when we examine the words we speak, we are accepting an invitation by God to be honest about the heart that we have. Over and over again in the scripture, he says, examine your hearts. He says, listen, look at the words that you speak, and if you can be honest with that, then you can start to be honest with the heart that you have. When God reveals to you the words that we say, listen, our default is to make excuses. Or what we do is we just simply pretend we didn't say it. I didn't say that. Or we minimize it. Or we blame shift it. Or we deny it. Or we say, that's not what I meant. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to change us. And let me tell you how that starts. It starts by closing our mouths and opening our ears to him. We need to stop speaking and start listening. Slow to speak and ask God to speak so that when we do finally start speaking again, it's filled with grace and truth. Truth and grace, amen? And so listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
And up to this point in your life, you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's exactly why you're here. This is a day that God has ordained you to be in the presence of his church so that we could respond with our hearts to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're trusting that you're a moral person. You know, I'm better than this guy, and so I guess my scale is tipped. Or religious duty, but you've never ultimately confessed Jesus as Lord. I want to encourage you, today's your day. Today will be the day that could change your life and your eternity forever. Today is the day that you could truly pass from death to life. And listen, if you are a Christian in here, here's the good news. God gives us the Holy Spirit. So when we read things like taming our tongue, you're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. You genuinely have the power of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells within you so that you can truly examine your heart and not feel shame or guilt, but be led into repentance and rejoicing that says, thank you, Jesus. Because I, for some reason, I'm not able to do this. I need you to do this. And so if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and he wants to change you, and he wants to redeem your tongue, and it's incredible. Let me close with this. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Isaiah, and Isaiah is a man of God, and he wants to honor God. And Isaiah chapter 6, it says that he comes into the presence of the Lord. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I was in the presence of the Lord. And he was high and exalted. And the train of his robe, it filled the temple. And smoke was coming up from his throne. And around him were angels circling, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I was in the presence of the Holy Holy One. And his first response when he stands before God is he falls to his face and he says this, woe is me. That's a verdict. That's a judgment. That's a, I'm doomed. Listen to why. He says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord and King. He's a pretty good guy. His spiritual resume is better than yours, I guarantee it. And when he stands before God, he says, I'm doomed. I am a man of unclean lips. The people around me are a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the king. But then an angel of the Lord 
takes a hot coal from the altar and comes and presses it to his lips. And he says, your sin is atoned for. You are forgiven. And what God does in that moment is he purifies his mouth. And then God sends him to preach to the world faith and repentance in the one true only God. And he then uses his mouth to bless people and build people up, proclaiming the word of God. The point is this. We are all people of unclean lips. And we live among a people of unclean lips. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to purify that. I want to take care of that. Jesus says, I atoned for that. I'm going to forgive that so that you cannot use your mouth to build down, but to build up. And I want you to be an ambassador with your lips for my kingdom, for my name, for my glory. God says, I want to anoint your voice. And I want to point words in you like prayer and worship and encouragement and blessing. After the resurrection, Jesus raises, he appears to his disciples. Scripture says that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. He ascends into heaven. All of the believers are together in one room in the book of Acts. It says there's about 120 of them there. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes down and falls upon them like what? You know? Tongues of fire. Fire purifies. Literally, God wants to take out their tongue and give them his tongue so that the world would know the name of Jesus. What happens after that moment in the book of Acts? They go and they proclaim and people hear and they tell about the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins and how the table is wide open for anyone who would believe and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And from that day, every day, their tongues are now used by God to bless people, to build his church, to advance his gospel and to be about the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. We are called to take God's mouth, put it in our heart, and say, listen, this is about the kingdom. This is about the glory of Jesus. We want to bring life out of a world of death. We want to bring hope in a world that's full of fear. We want to bring reconciliation in a, in a world that is tearing the world apart with their voice. And here we are 2,000 years later, and God wants to do the same thing with you, with me. But it starts with our hearts. Today, we have an opportunity to remember the perfect sacrificial work of Jesus Christ upon the cross who died for our sins to purify those who would believe. We do this by something called communion, the Lord's Supper. 
When we approach the table, maybe you're thinking, woe is me. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid for it all. When the elements, the broken body, the cup represents the shed blood of Jesus, when it touches your lips, may you remember that the price is paid. Atonement is made. Forgiveness is available because of Jesus and him alone. Today, when we come, we come through the work of a savior. We come humbly, we come broken, yet we leave in freedom. And we leave so that we too can proclaim grace and truth with our tongues. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, first I thank you for your word. And I thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place so that I could too be redeemed. I could be restored. I can be forgiven. I can be made new. And I can live completely and totally for you without shame or guilt or condemnation, but covered by your work and your redemption. Today, O oh Lord, we sit as a people who if we're honest in our hearts, we'd say, woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. But today, as we look at our mouths and we look at our hearts, that truly we would remember the sacrifice and the price that you paid so that we could be set free. And so, Lord, today I pray that we would not be quick to make excuses or to justify our actions, but we would be quick to repent. We would be quick to turn our faces unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that we would know without a doubt that you truly said it is finished that we can truly live as child, children of God. O oh, Father, come. O oh, Spirit, fill us. O oh, Jesus, be praised in all that you're doing among us and in us, and even through us, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna set the table.